Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's show, we're going to be talking about what else? The Emmys. They're over. It's over. For like three months. It's over. <laughs> it is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Uh, well, we're talking about Emmys, so our only clicker topic is Emmy ratings. Ben, ratings were down. How down were they? You know what, Leo? They weren't as down as, honestly, I expected them to be. I thought that this year's ratings were going to be uh, a good, like, couple million less than last year, uh, if only because of the increased competition. And instead, they were only down roughly 800,000 viewers. They dropped from 6.9 million viewers to 6.1 million viewers. It is the lowest ratings uh the emmys have had in their history aka since we started tracking ratings in the late 90s um and yeah there's been a steep decline for award show ratings across the board over the last four to five years um this year in particular as i mentioned like not only do they all do the emmys always compete against stuff like sunday night football but this year they also had the nba playoffs to go up against they also had major league baseball uh and like getting up into the playoff race uh, as well as, you know, the general things that take away from live ratings, a.k.a. Netflix, streaming, etc. Um, but no, I, I honestly was expecting them to be much worse than they were. Uh, they still delivered ABC's best Sunday night ratings in, I don't know, like five or seven months. It was April, I think, was, was what they said. So um, it's not good news. But it wasn't the worst imaginable news. Listen, I'm not convinced that if this was a typical year that the Emmys ratings wouldn't have dropped that much anyway, or wouldn't have dropped just as much anyway. I mean, the Oscars saw a 20% drop this year before the pandemic. Um, That's not unreasonable to suspect that the Emmys might have gone through the same thing and, and that would have been actually a bigger drop. So I have to think that they look at that and they're like, you know what, for what we were facing, for what we were trying to do, like, it's not great, but it's okay. It's okay. Well, guys, the Emmys, as we've mentioned, were Sunday. We've had 48 hours to sort of uh, ruminate on the events of the night. I wanted to sort of contextualize this in terms of surprises, maybe. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I am joined by two of the gold derby pickers who had the top (laughs) two of the eight with the top percentage of uh picks correct at the emmys and you guys were also two of the three who had the highest percentage of picks correct for nominations so in a way you were you two 
specifically nailed nominations as much as you can and nailed this very hard to predict Emmy ceremony. So you're the only two people who are on the top of both lists. I, on the other hand, finished, (laughs) if I were counted as an expert, would have finished second to last. (laughs) Yeah, but you took some big swings, buddy. You really went after it. And that's what I had your principles. Yeah, I had principles. I stood by my principles, and those were obliterated by the voters. And that's I mean, fine. That's 2020. That's 2020. But yes, congratulations to you both for finishing in the, in the top percentage of exer- experts on Gold Derby. Libby, I want to start with you. What was what was one of your like good surprises? What was a good surprise on Sunday night? I mean, I've already kind of I've already kind of spoiled it, but there was only one re- win that happened that I like legitimately screamed out loud and that's because I was the only expert that picked it on Gold Derby, but Um, Zendaya winning was just such a delight. It's one of those things that is kind of just a moment of pure joy. And it's not necessarily that I thought she was absolutely the best performance last year. She was great. Um, she's, she's huge talent. Uh, the show is, is very different from anything else on television. Um, but I love it because it's the kind of, I'm so intoxicated by, uh, awards contenders who, you're unsure if they're going to even get nominated, but once they're nominated, it's like, oh shit, they could win. And that's absolutely what Zendaya, what Zendaya was this year. Um, it's the kind of, of win that is why I love award shows. Um, because you don't see it coming. It doesn't necessarily piss you off. Um, she was very gracious and, and adorable and, and, and genuine in her acceptance speech and I don't know. It's just, um, it was just a really great moment. And it happened late enough in the show that I was uh, less pissed off about Shit's Creek. So, you know, <laughs> well, always. it was also, I mean, it was also a nice win, if only because like a lot of the, the talk going in was about this category being down to these heavyweights, these people who are already very well respected within the industry, if not the television academy at large. You've got Laura Linney, who I think had already won three times. Uh, you've got Jennifer Aniston who'd won. You've got Olivia Coleman who is now, you know, an Oscar winner, like just, you know, and she's won Emmys as well. Um, so like it, it's fun to see those kind of heavyweights go head to head and see who comes out to win. But it's somewhat, it's even more fun to see someone who is both deserving and, you know, over the moon excited to be kind of welcomed into that same club. Like to be like, yeah, yeah, no, this, this is, this, you are that good. You were that exciting. And, um, she was somebody who, you know, again, who knows how much spin is, is in there, but when Euphoria started, she told people that she didn't know if she could do this show. Like she didn't know if she was ready to be a lead of an HBO drama. Like that's felt like a very big deal to her, even, you know, as a young person who's, who's relatively new to like the HBO, you know, plethora of, of prestige programming. Um, but the fact that she questioned it and then rose to the challenge and then won the award. It's a great story and it's a great moment to kind of see live. So it, it felt really good. Ben, what was a surprise that you enjoyed? Because of the way you phrased that question, I can only really answer in one way. Uh, the surprise that I enjoyed the most was Jennifer Aniston extinguishing a live fire <laughs> on television. Like, I... 
that whole bit was just the slow build up into where are you going with this? This is stupid. Oh, this just got really good. Oh, it got even better. Like it was magnificent. Jimmy Kimmel picks up the envelope and you're like, oh, you're doing another thing about, you know, cleaning it with the Lysol spray and then you'll hand it to her. Oh, you're not going to hand it to her. You're going to drop it in a bin and you're going to light it. You're not actually going to light it on fire. She's going to stop you. Oh my God. No, you lit it on fire and someone put other stuff in the basket, like to make sure the fire lit, I guess, like to make sure that they didn't, they couldn't not spark the fire. I mean, it was just, it was everything you could possibly want and, uh, and all <laughs> virtual award show moment and then the fact that Aniston continued to pay attention to the fire and put it out while Kimmel had already moved on and was speaking to the other camera to continue with the actual proceedings of the event that she was just like no fuck that I'm doing it it also brings to mind that it's a shame as we discussed before the podcast began that the Emmys can't win Emmys because the director of this segment deserves an Emmy for never cutting to Kimmel and staying in the wide shot to show us the fire and Aniston putting it out. That could have been fucked up. The gift that Leo just showed us, uh, which is circulating the internet, which is also wonderful, would have been ruined if we'd cut away from the fire that had briefly gone out and then leapt back to life. So um, that set a high bar for me. And was a there great is something to be said about cutting away to Kimmel and then cutting back to wide and seeing Aniston's uh, putting out a fire. But uh, no, I, I, I completely agree with what you're going. And, and Ben, I think it's interesting that you went with the live fire as opposed to the Friends reunion. Do you want to speak a little bit about the Friends reunion? Uh, I'll speak a very little bit about the Friends okay. reunion. Um, sure. It was a half a Friends reunion. Um, right. It was It was just... Jennifer Aniston, Lady Lisa friends. Kudrow, and Courtney Cox, uh, Monica, Rachel, and Phoebe. Um, kind of once Monica showed up, aka Courtney Cox showed up, you're like, okay, I think Lisa's coming. And then you're like, that's probably the end of it. But those little moments of just seeing them together, as always, were extremely pleasant and enjoyable for me. And then I love the idea of Jason Bateman stepping in as a temporary Ross, even though no one could possibly replace David Schwimmer. Uh, it really made it feel like that bit was just for me because I love friends and I love Jason Bateman. And I know that everybody else he was sitting there going, starting fires. I do love anyway. starting fires. Uh, I, I know no one else really was. I mean, I'm sure they were hoping that the rest of the friends crew would have shown up, even though HBO max would have lost their mind. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It was nice. It was it was a random little touch, but it was I was quite pleased. So guys, let's talk about maybe a bad surprise. Not that anything is it's all you know relative, bad and good. But what I think you guys have a shared bad surprise. I think we were talking about it via Slack while the ceremony was occurring. Um, ben, do you want to start with what I think our shared bad surprise was? Yeah. So what we're talking about here is the uh, I mean arguably the most newsworthy aspect of the night from a neutral standpoint and that Schitt's Creek swept the comedy categories at the prime time. Um, this was something that we've talked about extensively on this show. So I think anybody who's listening knows our feelings toward the show itself. Um, but I wanted to talk about it in, in terms of, of the Emmy telecast, because one of the things that was interesting that we found out the day of was kind of the run of show and that they were going to group all the comedy categories, just go one by one by one, get through all the comedy, then do the limited series, then do the drama. And the the fire starting at the beginning, the kind of chaotic introduction 
to, to set a tone of like, holy shit, you don't know what you're going to see tonight. Um, that was upended by the Schitt's Creek sweep. Like it was like a wet blanket being thrown on Jennifer Aniston's perfectly tended fire. Garbage fire. Exactly. I, I don't want to call it that. It has negative connotations, but, um, I know <laughs> the, uh, the, the inevitability of the wins after, I mean, uh, Catherine O'Hara won the first, then Eugene Levy won, uh, then I believe it won writing. Did they go supporting? I think it went one writing and directing yeah. and then supporting. And kind of once it won directing, you really knew the sweep was on. Even by then, you were already kind of tired of seeing the same people slash person get up and give a speech and talk about the same show from the same setting and be handed an award by a hazmat-suited individual. I will say, I, I, I just to interject here, I did hold out hope in supporting actress just because there were such strong contenders there. Like I knew, I knew it was going to be Annie Murphy because direction, but um, I, you know, it, that's it's so shocking to me that that that's how Borstein got uh, unseated from from her two time win position. I feel like that sweep for anybody who. Uh, you know, loves the show and was super excited to see that happen. I'm sure it was exciting that it that it was happening and that you know that show got its due, uh, quote unquote, for again that very specific crowd of people who think that's true. Um, but even then, like it's just the repetitive nature of seeing win after win after win for the same show. Um, that I mean, it's the complaint that's dogged the Emmys forever. But it's also the complaint that dogs all award shows when something wins too many categories. The surprise starts to drift away. Then you're sitting there for an hour, if not longer, being like, I know what's going to happen next. I know what's who's going to win this one. It takes a lot of the suspense and a lot of the fun out of it. And that felt extreme. That felt even more deflating because of the tone they were trying to strike from the onset that this was going to be different and this was going to be surprising and that you wouldn't know what was coming next. Um, and again, like that, that honestly, you know, continued for the rest of the night because Watchmen won a lot of awards and Succession won a lot of awards. And while I'm much more excited personally about those happening, uh, it still kind of killed the buzz of it being this really unsettling thing, even though I, I say that there were enough surprises later that it, it kept it enough, like just enough. I mean, just by sheer comparison, like, um, Every award after comedy was a huge surprise. Even RuPaul's Drag Race winning just because it wasn't Schitt's Creek. So, I mean, um, I, I had read somewhere while the show was going on that when someone read the run of show, one of our one of our um, associates, one of our uh, acquaintances, friends, uh, they were like, I had a friend who looked at this and they were like, this is a schedule set up uh, for sweeps. Like, this is something that they have arranged it this way because they think certain shows are going to win a lot of awards. So they're just setting them up in a block. Uh, I honestly think that's a bad idea because it's almost like when you're watching a no hitter in baseball and every half inning where they're not with the guy where the pitcher isn't pitching and the other team, like that team's at bat and you get to kind of talk about it. You get to kind of be like, Oh, is it, you think he can hold on? Do you think he can really make this keep going? It's the same with award shows where you're like, if you see two or three winners in a row from the same show and then you break to go to another show you get to talk about it. You're just kind of like, okay, hold on. Is this happening? Is it really happening? Do we think they can win that next one too? That seems like it'd be crazy. And then it, I think that helps build and sustain momentum over the course of a show 
like the Emmys specifically, when certain things can't win all the awards. So I, I don't know. I, if that was by design, I feel like that was a mistake. I, I almost felt that they did it just because they were worried about retention from the nominees, like them paying attention for more than the hour block that their categories are up for. Because if they're asked to really just sit and plant and not move and be on call in front of the television for three and a half hours, oh God, that's a long that's time. That's such a good point, Ben. I, I hadn't even thought of that. You didn't want that Shit's Creek party to have to like be on alert, on high alert for three hours. Or like, hey, we're gonna get comedy done that in that first hour. And then you guys can like turn that into a party. You know, like you don't have to worry about focusing on the rest of the Emmys, have the Emmys on in the background, but do whatever you guys want, as opposed to having me ready to give speeches. That's why I assume they did it. Libby, do you want to talk about the, the Shit's Creek of it all? The, the second show to ever sweep a category, the first mm-hmm. being Angels in America for a limited series, but the first comedy to ever yeah. sweep every comedy category. Is yeah. Shit's Creek the greatest comedy of all time? <laughs> I mean, I guess so. That's that's what we've learned. It's upsetting. It, it's upsetting for me as a, a as a fan um, of television, like, like as a as an extended fan of television, because especially when we are living in an age where there's 600 unique scripted shows coming out every year, um, the suggestion that one show has all of the best co- uh, comedic elements. Um, on television in a single year is strange and I don't like it but also because of the historical implications are just uh, mind-boggling to me and it's difficult to reconcile it with with yeah its place in in comedy history I think that 25 years from now people are going to be it's going to be a bananas bar trivia question you know what's the only comedy to have swept every comedy category at the emmys in a single year and like i don't know cheers um like like, like there are so many like everybody loves raymond modern family i mean that's not a great show but it did something vaguely different and had a large enough cast i think that's one of the things that really blows my mind is the fact that schitt's creek isn't a particularly large cast like I feel like you would see, I, I, I just, I can't, I thought I had wrapped my head around it, but I, I really haven't. And a lot of it comes down to that conversation that comes up a lot at the end of every year um, when critics are making their best of lists and they're like, you have to decide if when you're making a ranked list am I listing this by quality, what I think is the best show on television, or am I rating this by how much I enjoy? I think that Schitt's Creek was probably the most enjoyed show in television last year, at least within Hollywood, and probably for a lot of people at home. I do not think it was the best comedy in television last year. Um, I'm not sure it makes the shortlist for being one of the best comedies in television right now. And it... Uh, is painful for me to look at that because it's not a new show. It hasn't changed significantly since it premiered. It's not suddenly like it took a huge leap in quality. It's just that people decided to get on board with it and their fervor in a weak comedy year without Barry, without Veep, without Fleabag, without Russian Doll, 
it just was this combination is this this super storm the supercell of um inevitability and i did not see it coming and i hate that i hate that i didn't see it coming um i hate that i didn't even consider this being on the table um i hate that it happened i don't begrudge Shit's creek fans for being excited or loving the show um and i gotta tell you everything was made 10 times worse when uh dan levy was like yeah nepotism i had no qualifications to have this job my dad gave it to me um not the message i would have sent at this emmys of all emmys when every special segment was about how difficult it is for people of color, uh, particularly women, to have their voices heard, to not have their voices curbed or stamped out, uh, how difficult it is to get their foot in the door, to even have those opportunities to have pitch meetings. Um, it was such, such a sour note for me. And it was really hard for me to get over. And, and um, it, it, I don't know. I, I suppose it's hard to give uh, four fucking speeches in a row, but yeah, I think the I think the historical context is one of the ones that I struggle with um, more than anything else because I, I have to kind of regularly remind myself when I'm doing when I'm looking at Emmys and when I'm looking at kind of you know how many has this person won and how many has this show won and like how often does it come back and how long like what are these trends and what does it mean and who's really popular within the Academy versus who like hit at the right time. And this was this was so much about timing. Like this was so so very much about Schitt's Creek getting that first nudge last year, um, and then you know having the waves part for them to arrive this year. And it is it is annoying. And like I I, I feel like you know uh, uh, a crybaby and a spoil sport because of how often I talked about this not being the case and how unlikely it was that this would happen. Um, even while a lot of other people were saying that this was a big wave of, of enthusiasm. Um, I don't think we it, ever thought it would sweep. I don't think anyone no. thought it would yeah, sweep. Yeah, Libby, I you, just picked, wanna, I just put you, pick, you picked it in five of the seven comedy categories. You essentially didn't pick uh, Annie Murphy or directing. And Ben, I think yeah. you had it in five as well or four. Yeah, it was four or five. I tried to hold out as long as I could. And then I, you know, casting... It went in casting and the fact that right. five the last five now six awards um the show that is one casting has one series i was just it was a gut feeling i had Maisel was soft at the creative arts Emmys. um it suggested something like this would happen um but it never a sweep never a sweep i would begrudge anyone to point out one directorial note in <laughs> Shit's Creek that was like you're like wow that's outstanding it's not like fucking Russian doll um or even like Maisel where they're going places and doing things and songs and dances and performances like I will say as as the rude man and as as the huge comedy snob amongst the three of us uh I didn't pick Shit's Creek in a single category because I voted with my hatred for it and not that I hate the show on a lot of levels. I just think it's not an award-winning show. If you want to celebrate Catherine O'Hara or Eugene Levy for being comedic legends, sure, fine, give them that, those awards. 
But I think it sweeping this category was sort of a combination of several factors. I think this only happens in a pandemic year. I don't think if you have a normal FYC season that this still happens. And I might be wrong about that. But I think people were trapped in their homes, watching Netflix and catching up on Schitt's Creek. And I mentioned this on the night. Was Schitt's Creek appointment television for anybody? I don't know if that's true. It's a fine show, a sweet show. Like record breaking? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like that's not what it is. Also, not to not to yum our yuck, but is there a silver lining here in that like, could what we do in the shadows be a, get a boost? You know, three writing uh, show, like maybe next year it kind of comes in a little stronger because there won't be those Shits Creek spots. Um, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it's Emmy nominations get more people watching it and more right. people watching it gets more people hopefully appreciating the humor in it. Uh, I'm hoping season three continues the, the, the strong stuff that season two put up. And, and yeah, I mean, one thing, one thing about Schitt's Creek sweeping is that it has given us a completely clean slate for next year's Emmys. There will be no back-to-back winners in comedy next year. Not one. Um, That's really exciting because as what we've learned from Mrs. Maisel, I think, is that it's very difficult for the Academy to go back. Um, They don't seem to love revisiting. It may be why The Crown never again becomes a dominant force at the Emmys. it has to strike in the moment and it has to keep going or else it's never coming back. Modern Family never came back. Veep didn't come back. Um, it, it's, it's, so it's anyone's game. Let's get the good, one good surprise to end, to end this. Let's get some good surprises. Okay. Libby. Okay. Let's finish strong with, I don't know if Ben has another good surprise. Ben might not, but Libby, what, what was a good surprise that you, you were excited surprise. for on Sunday? I had... I had I predicted this months ago and I I never wavered from it because I felt like I could make it happen through sheer force of will like it definitely should have happened it was always on the table but it was never a sure thing um but Jeremy Strong pulling out lead actor in a drama series was so great he works so hard at acting he has a very elaborate process which I have spoken to him a lot about and and it's not just that it's not just that he's a method actor or whatever but he's very thoughtful about it he he's definitely doing the work and while that's not everyone's process like it really matters to him um he seems like a very intense guy and i i am just very happy (laughs) that he got some validation for his work um, it would have been very easy for him, for, for that category to go to Brian Cox, I think, because Brian Cox is great. It's a showy role. And like I said, Brian Cox is great. He's more of a known entity, but it was, um, it was very edifying to see strong win and giggle. And I will insert uh, that giggle right now. (laughs) Yeah, so that was just that was a that was a good one for me. Ben, do you have another good surprise, or or was it all negative uh, for you? 
No, no, no. I, I would say one again. The, it's the idea of it being a surprise that that ruins a lot of these. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't congratulate friends of the podcast, Damon Lindelof and Court Jefferson, yes. for their uh, for their win for writing as well as limited series. Uh, I would say that Cord's speech may have been the best, may have been the best of the night. Uh, shouting out his therapist and then calling on therapy to be free for everyone was one of my favorite moments. And his, uh, from his tuxedo to the delivery where it was like very professional, but still like engaged. It wasn't like he was reading off his phone, but he wasn't, it didn't sound like he was reading off his phone. He was, he knew what he was saying and he was still in the moment. So that was very enjoyable. And then Damon's speech at the end with limited series was as immaculate as you'd expect. Um, but in terms of, of strict surprises, I would say that uh, even though I picked it, Yahya Abdul-Mateen's win in Sporting Actor was was nowhere near guaranteed. We debated this extensively on the podcast. Uh, everybody had a different pick. Everybody had a, a decent reason to win. There was concern over vote splitting as well as just, you know, who was the favorite amongst the Watchmen cast as well as, you know, obviously the other contenders. Um, but him winning... One was so incredibly well-deserved for a role that was both very prominent, but also, like, the acting challenge of it was not as prominent. So, like, them appreciating kind of the nuance that he brought to what was needed of that role, especially the pivot, like, the, the character he built at the beginning versus the character he plays at the end is obviously a very noticeably different person, but, well, not a person, but, uh, again, like, the... Not a girl. The, the, <laughs> the, the initial construction of it was really, really beautiful and effective in a way that had to be maintained for the ending to pay off. So again, I loved that, and I loved his speech. He was one of those winners who you could tell didn't prepare anything uh, and was surprised by the win and then still gathered himself up enough to deliver a good speech. And again, I, whenever I say that, I have to remind myself, these are all actors. They're all now award-winning actors. So thus he could have just faked it and been very convincing about it. But either way, I appreciate it. And it was great to see. So I mean, that would probably that, be my surprise. That's too. just the thing though. They're actors. They're not improvers and they're not <laughs> writers. So um, I think when they are able to gather themselves, especially when it's pretty clear they haven't prepped anything. And the fact that Yaya talked about uh, black women and their strength and and it was very moving and just the thought of them awarding Yaya and also of course awarding Regina is this kind of full-throated acceptance and praise for this black love story or this love story between this this seemingly <laughs> typical black couple that we don't see a lot outside of literally this is us um and things like uh, things like that uh was lovely it was i mean I, I didn't have him picked i didn't know if the actors would pick up on the nuance of that performance um especially because so much of cal is so early in the series and 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 so much of his less um emotive side is is what the audience is left with but the fact that they did was delightful Again, not to overuse that word, but when someone wins that you aren't expecting to win, but deserves to win, it's, it's a delight. Libby, we haven't done this in a while. I just searched Quibi on the old Google, and there is a story about Jenny Slate hosting and executive producing a botanical docuseries called Sex Plants. 
But a lot of the articles seem to do with Quibi exploring some possible sale. Vox has a headline that says, after six months and $1.8 billion, Quibi wants a new owner. So they would like someone to reinvest in Quibi. <laughs> Apparently needs... They would like to sink another $2 billion into this very lucrative venture. They need a little more startup capital. Just a little more. Sure. Well, I, I think this is based on a Wall Street Journal report. And uh, some of the following details from that report uh, <laughs> included, included that while looking for prospective buyers, one of their problems was... Quibi doesn't own any of their own shows, so they didn't understand what they were buying. Yeah, they well, that was a big thing from the jump that like sing like MTV still owns Singled Out. It just like or like punked, like they they own those properties and simply licensed them to Quibi, and that all and and all the other original programming is owned by the content creators and not Quibi itself. Yeah, they- Wealth is wasted on the rich is about all I have to say about that. But boys... They should have watched the Emmys. Yeah. I do have a question. Oh. They would have known. In light of Quibi winning two Emmys in the past week, that's twice as many Emmys as Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, Those were both for Free Ray Sean, correct? Yes. Hashtag. Hashtag Free, free Ray, Ray Sean. Sean. Thank you. One word. Is Quibi dead yet? I have to imagine they're doing well with, with their two Emmys. And then <clears> just <throat> that, that, that Wall Street Journal story was just reported. It wasn't like, I mean, for sure. All I'm saying is that I was the most, well, I was bearish. Is that how you say? Was that when, when, uh, you were bearish. I was bearish. You on, were bearish about I was Quibi. bearish on Quibi. And I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm feeling pretty good about. <laughs> Where I, when I said it would die, uh, it might not even make it to my de- to my death date. Uh, what was your death date? I think I think I was a full year, but I said they wouldn't have any new programming that they were still producing in the year 20, uh, 2021. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation, NDY. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about our TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana harris Brights, and our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Anne Donahue. Our favorite Jennifer Aniston performances are are in The Switch. Hmm, what no. the fuck is that? That's the Turkey great Baster film. movie. That's yeah, the Turkey great. Baster movie. It's fantastic. Where no. Jason Bateman puts his splooge in a turkey baster, and then Jennifer Aniston uses that to impregnate herself. Horrible bosses. And... Everyone's favorite Chicago wintertime movie, Office Christmas Party. We all—it's filmed in Chicago. I, that's all I remember about it. What the is fuck that, is I actually, that? I actually haven't seen it, but there's a theme. Go. Our millions of screens endorsement for more films starring Jennifer Aniston and Jason Bateman. They're all oh. Aniston Bateman films. Yeah, they're buds. Yeah. Cool. Office Christmas Party has T.J. Miller and too large a role for yeah. anyone to stomach. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Agent Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you or the Academy about what comedy is. 
You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.